tell you the truth though, really? I like to read a lot, books be uplifting me Words help you see a lot, this book was a gift to me Chuck D presents this day in rap and hip hop history It's a reference book, it puts important dates in a list for me Jamel Shabazz, a time before crap A photographic history of hip hop from way, way back Here's Martha Cooper's hip hop files, Charlie Ahern, Wild Style And 50 Cent's 50th Law, I used to read this to my child Sometimes I look at my library and I smile Cause if I can't find it on the shelf, I know it's there in my file Meanwhile, there's other books with other hooks and outlooks I like to cook, so I read about cooks, I can't live without books I like books, I recite books, I even write books a lot Science of rap, ruminations, gospel of hip hop But let me spit a quick list, a book list that's really short The first book that you should get is really a passport Travel, that's key, but the books can unlock it Unlock your mind by reading lines of new topics Place your optics on books of real black knowledge Beginning with Carter G. Woodson, I'm paying homage His book, Miseducation of the Negro, is essential For freeing your mind from the slavery that is mental Turn up this instrumental, you ain't dealing with an amateur I'm reading Walter Rodney, how Europe undeveloped Africa That's the man to thank, high rank Let's look at the birth of black America by Andrew Frank Take that to the bank, let me rock again, hip-hop again Check out Africa, mother of western civilization by Joseph Ben Yakinen. Check out Black Man of the Nile again by Joseph Yakinen. Civilization or Barbarism by Shank and Tajop. And then Black Indians by William Lauren Katz. Take it back. Anything by Dr. Cornel West, you need to go get that. Michael Eric Dyson, all his books, go get all of that. Henry Louis Gates, PBS, show support for that. I'm like Banico with the Almanac. Books, I got the tallest stack. The Brooklyn Public Library, yeah, that's where I started. I read up everything, every book that I could see While these others went to college, I got my knowledge for free Philosophy, theology, paleoanthropology, mythology, economy I study these subjects entirely for free It was free You got to see me in life for free don't waste your money Let us continue on the menu with these reference books Like the Oxford English Dictionary For words it's a better look It deals with word history Before and after them But it's funny in the A section You can't find the word African But these books don't start trashing them Bashing them, harassing them It just shows accurately the racism to the maximum Here's American Heritage Dictionary Fourth edition Here's what it looks like when we look at the definition of Shirley Chisholm Peep the wisdom and the complication Shirley Chisholm was the first black woman to seek the Democratic presidential nomination You talk about breaking new ground, Shirley's profound But in the American Heritage Dictionary, this is nowhere to be found This is an American Heritage Dictionary reference And Shirley Chisholm's run for president doesn't get one sentence I'm just pointing it out, the scholarship, what it's all about Don't just read, find out what these authors are all about I'm free! You've got to see me!
waste your money. It's so kind of you all to be here. I'd like to thank each and every one of you for coming out tonight. You have already heard such eloquence. An eloquence defined by Cicero and Quintilian is wisdom speaking. And I'm talking about the one, the only, my brother from whom I learn. Artistic giant, spiritual figure, and activist, towering person of his generation, Brother KRS-One. I'm always blessed anytime I set eyes on this brother. I love him deeply, respect him dearly, and he and I will be part of the conversation with you all. Let's give him one last hand before I say it. Definitely. I hope that I say something that unsettles you that unnerves you, maybe even for a moment unhouses you. You all, I'm sure, take quite seriously here at Keene State the Socratic maxim, the unexamined life is not worth living. And that means that I hope at least once a semester you recognize that maybe your worldview rests on pudding. Doesn't mean that you stop there, but just for that moment of intellectual dizziness and vertigo. <laughs> because that's what learning is all about in the deepest sense. Not schooling, but being educated mind, body, and soul. So that when you come down, you do land on something, but you're a different person than when you went up. The unexamined life is not worth living. Malcolm X is right when he adds the examined life is painful. And that's precisely what this discussion about race and ethnicity and going through it, as Brother Karras once says, but not ending up there. The great Josiah Royce, towering American philosopher, born in California, taught at Harvard for about 42 years. He talked about the spirituality of genuine doubting, seeking, and interrogating. And what I'd like to do is to join that kind of spirituality of doubting with what you heard earlier from KRS-1, which is also a spirituality of giving, serving, Loving, because this brother has a deep love in his heart that takes the form of a passion to communicate it, mediated by art, but still trying to change the world. Within the curriculum that looks primarily to Athens and Jerusalem rather than Asia and Africa and indigenous peoples, and of course Athens and Jerusalem has much to teach us, but they have no monopoly on the truths of the human condition. We try to join Socrates who went about what? Questioning, interrogating, but does Socrates ever cry? Plato, Xenophon, Aristophanes, no tears of Socrates. Interesting. If he never cried, he probably never loved. If he never loved, for me, I'm not sure the brother really lived. He questioned, but did he really live on the ground where it hurts, loss, mourning, grief, sadness, 
sorrow, heartbreak, heartache, not just raising interesting theoretical and abstract questions. We, we got to bring Socrates down. We move to Jerusalem, Elijah, Jesus weeps. Why do they weep? Because they love so. They're investigated in something. They're self-involved in something. They're attached. They're interested. They care. Something is at stake in the lives that they live. And to talk about race, not just in America, but in the world, because no one even conceived of the notion of race until the 17th century. Francois Bernier first put it forward in 1688, a moment in which what? A moment in which Europe is shaping the world in its own image, controlling nearly two-thirds of the globe, viewing itself as not just superior, but casting itself in terms of arbitrary constructs like whiteness, blackness, redness, yellowness, brownness, and it becomes part and parcel of this notion that somehow those cast as black, brown, yellow, red are inferior, less beautiful, less intelligent, less moral. What a lie, but my God, that lie is taking on tremendous ferocity. And it's still around. So nobody's concerned about the intelligence of those who have blue eyes as opposed to brown eyes. You can't get a dissertation in the psychology department pursuing that question. Who cares about the intelligence of those in Georgia as opposed to those in North Dakota? You can't get a PhD dissertation in psychology comparing the intelligence of those in Georgia versus North Carolina or North Dakota. But you raise black and white, oh, it's a very serious issue now. Let's see what the evidence, I know it's going to be tough and delicate for some of you all, but uh, <laughs> let, 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 let's see where the evidence goes. Where does the question come from? Are women as intelligent as men? Oh, that's a very serious question. I think it's going to be tough on the sisters, but uh, <laughs> let's pursue it. That's the way science is. Sure, 2,000 years of patriarchy. We know what the framework looks like. We know why that question is so relevant, though hurtful to some. The tradition that hip-hop in general, rap music in particular, is part of is a long tradition of the human family that forces us to raise the deepest questions, the most frightening and terrifying questions about us. And that question is, what does it really mean to be human? And most of us don't have time to to wrestle with that question. I know many of you all at this grand institution, you're working one job, two jobs, three jobs, you got courses, you're trying to fall in and out of love, have a little fun in the meantime. Why well, raise the question of what does it mean to be human and I don't get a grade for it that'll help me in my quest for a job. <laughs> but here come some hip hop figures and rap musicians that says a long tradition that says those of us on the underside 
of a society, on the night side of American life, on the dark side of the human predicament, are going to force us to wrestle with some questions. Let us never forget that our English word human comes from the Latin humando, which means burying. I always like to remind professors of humanities what they're, what they're all about. <laughs> burying. Right. Bodies in coffins. Right. Grave diggers as in Shakespeare's Hamlet. We are featherless, two-legged, linguistically conscious creatures born between urine and feces. That's us. <laughs> Looking for a little meaning and value and care as we face inevitable, unavoidable, and inescapable extinction of some sort. Creates a little anxiety. <laughs> Burying. Right. Bodies in coffins, grave diggers as in Shakespeare's Hamlet. We are featherless, two-legged, linguistically conscious creatures born between urine and feces. That's us. <laughs> Looking for a little meaning and value and care as we face inevitable, unavoidable, and inescapable extinction of some sort, creates a little anxiety, <laughs> you see. But when you raise the question of what it means to be human, it cuts so much deeper than race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, class position, regional position, whether you're disabled and physically challenged, older or younger, and yet we know those Constructs and categories do have tremendous weight in regard to how we ultimately answer the question of what it means to be human. Now, my generation, which is not a hip-hop generation, associated with somebody like George Clinton, George Clinton reminded me we all emerge in the funk. <laughs> right? No matter what color we are, we emerged in the stink and the stench and that love push got us out. You might feel a little sophisticated and refined now, but you were just like Rockefeller and just like the homeless brother when you emerged. Human. I do not know of a politician who has spoke at the level of spirit as well as social misery with such insight and eloquence as Karras one and Tupac Shakur, which means, in fact, that there's a need for leadership across the board if you're concerned about the future of American democracy. Not just race, but the future of American democracy. And of course, when we look at the world, my God, that's another discussion. You all know the figures. The three wealthiest individuals in the world have more wealth than the bottom 48 nations. The top 225 individuals have more wealth than the bottom 48% of all of humankind alive, which is 2.6 billion people. In Ethiopia, 
and its suffering is just the peak of an iceberg that's linked to both decrepit leadership too often predominant on the continent itself linked to World Bank IMF policies that impose austere conditions for access to credit that downplays education, health, job skills. What a world. Thank God that there was some voices crying out in the wilderness called hip-hop artists and rap musicians that said, America may be in a moment of self-celebration and self-congratulation because Wall Street's going crazy and the stock market's setting records and the top 1% are euphoric and the top 20% are ecstatic. But there's some people down here who's living every day and we're going to focus on their situation as well. We want our voice to be heard or in the tradition of the National Negro Anthem written by James Weldon Johnson and Rosamond Johnson, lift every voice, every voice to be part of a decision-making process so that maybe we can get some more equality and democracy through this prism of race and ethnicity. And that's the challenge for us, and that's what we're going to be talking about this evening. Thank you all so very much. Why is it important to know hip-hop? Why, why? You know, most people look at it music or some guy rhyming on a stage or something. Why is it important to know hip-hop? Why is it important to even be associated with hip-hop? You'll notice that most knowledge in the world, just the idea of knowledge, what you know, the, uh, what you know, some of what's known, the idea of knowledge tries to either relieve human suffering in a philosophical sense, or it predicts what's going on. Hip-hop is at the heights of that. Not only does knowing hip-hop relieve human suffering, which we'll get into later, but knowing it also, or should I say, having the sight that hip-hop has, having the awareness, gives you the ability to predict what's gonna happen in the inner cities before it happens. For many years, various magazine publications have attempted to document and interpret the forward movement of hip-hop from a traditionally objective perspective. This objectivity, although useful in the field of journalism, proves poor as a general method in interpreting the consciousness of hip-hop for hip-hoppers. Between the years of 1988 to 1998, Rap publications of all styles relied on being objective journalists when documenting hip-hop as opposed to being hip-hop. Such was their academic training. However, hip-hop, as with many popular cultures, is unique in the sense that accurately documenting its culture requires its interpreters to participate in its expressions. This is very important. If you can't do it, you can't interpret it. What hip hop is going through is that people who have no idea what it is, how to do it, nothing, are interpreting for the rest of the world what's going on, who we are. Hip hop has yet to speak for itself. 
The journalistic census toward hip-hop mirrored the mainstream census of black and Latino youth. Violent criminals, helpless, hopeless, untrustworthy, dangerous to be around, but nonetheless great entertainment. What they interpreted as hip-hop was really emceeing, which they later labeled rap. Breaking was labeled breakdancing. Piecing, burning, bombing, and tagging were all lumped together as graffiti art. Early hip-hop owned no monthly publication, video countdown, or Saturday Night Master Mix. In its early days, it could not interpret itself for itself, and those with the resources to interpret it did so with no interest in hip-hop's creative intelligence. In other words, no one asked, how do you develop the language you're speaking? How? All, every, all most journalists wanted to know, most people in general wanted to know was, yo man, how you getting so much money doing that? Keep in mind in the early days, hip hop was illegal. When I started, I started as a graffiti artist and it was illegal. I mean, graffiti art is always illegal, but rap music was illegal. They started off as block parties but then they got more sophisticated after, as the years went on, mainly because of the aggression that hip-hop was facing early on. These parties were done out in places in the Bronx called 123 Park, Cedar Park. And these were the early, early areas where when an MC and DJ duo would come out, they'd plug into the light, that instantly made us illegal. But more so than that, when we started rhyming and the DJ started cutting, this weird and unusual noise out in the parks began to aggravate people. And shockingly enough, it didn't aggravate the police. It aggravated our parents. Now some, most people got away with it. Most people did they jam and the cops said, oh, break it up. They broke it up. Other people, cops just came in, click, 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 everybody's gone. No questions, no answer, no nothing. Early hip hop starts like that. It starts in a small black and Latino community. And the older black and Latino generation says, no, that's not the representation of black people or of Latino people. It's something else. It's something you kids ain't supposed to be doing. And on top of that, you can't make a living with that. You can't make a living doing that. Go to school, go to the army, go to college. But a few hip hoppers said, no, nah, we believe in this. This is why we pay respect to the past. Cool Herc, Africa Bambada, Grandmaster Flash. These are the seminal figures in hip hop culture, not just rap music. In the whole culture of hip hop, the thinking, the dress, the language, the whole thing. This is why we pay them respect. Because when they were doing it, it was illegal. And they could have said, yo, man, I ain't going to jail for this. 
I, I'm not, every week I gotta go to, no, they said, we believe in this. And we believe in ourselves so much that we gonna keep doing it. We first was just up in the Bronx. From 1970 to 1978, hip hop was in the Bronx. It was only practiced in the Bronx. And the only way you can get to hear it is if you got a tape from one of the parties in the Bronx. Somewhere around 78, 79, hip hop left the Bronx and actually exploded all over New York. And from there you get a guy named Grandmaster Kaz, who's from the Bronx, who wrote a song which turned out to be Rapper's Delight. But he gave it to his man because back then, everybody said everybody's rhymes. It wasn't like today you think, like, you know, everybody, you turn on the radio, everybody's rapping, you have rhymes, rhymes. Back then, only a few people were able to do that. And the ones that did it, everybody else mimicked them so that they can do it. So everybody was running around saying Cold Crush 4 rhymes, which the lead guy in Cold Crush 4 was Grandmaster Kaz. When Sugar Hill Records put out Rapper's Delight, hip hop wasn't illegal anymore. That's the significance of Rapper's Delight. In 1979, when Rapper's Delight sold two million records, all of a sudden, hip hop wasn't illegal anymore. Listen, hold on to your brain, I'm about to rattle it with a little piece entitled, he's so arrogant. Look, I ain't come here for exposure. I am hip hop. I'm only here to bring you a little closer, if you can fathom it. Oh, he's so arrogant. In the midst of all the curses and over-rehearsed dispersed verses, I laugh at it. Others get mad at it when I say, damn, I'm so talented. They say, he's so arrogant. Like I'm supposed to be still and humble when I know my skill will rumble. But at the same time, my main rhyme changed minds and you could see how you became blind. You don't question, debate, or challenge it. Scared to battle it, coward, fine. Show your ass and I'll slap it every time. Yeah. He's so arrogant. Yeah. I can't stand him. Well, sit down then. <laughs> What's his problem? Look around, friend. Yeah. I don't bite my tongue or self. Uh -uh. My tongue, when flung, bites everyone else. <laughs> He's so arrogant. I hear that all day long. But they don't play my song because I'm right on. You still drinking the milk? Well, here's something to bite on. You say you want the image of a strong black male? Well, here I am on stage and not in jail. <laughs> it's like you wish you could cook fish, and I'm that dope seafood chef that broils a mean halibut dish. But if I tell you I can broil the halibut, they say, he's so arrogant. Grow up. Being humble has its place, but not when you're trying to blow up and win a race. Reach up, leap up, speak up, never mumble. Consider the fact that it's more arrogant to tell someone else to be humble. No, let others be humble while you scream, I'm the man. Cause being humble ain't gonna get you on deaf poetry jam. Chill out was the first word given from hip hop to the American pop culture, or first phrase. Chill as a word, chill out as a phrase. Americans took that. Yo, chill, man, chill out. Take a chill pill. Yeah. We went from chill to fresh. People don't know what that meant. What do you mean fresh? Then we went from fresh to dope. Dope? 
what is, are you stupid? Are you on drugs? I mean, what is dope? What does that mean? Then we had words like stupid fresh and I mean, just whole other languages that turned on the rest of America. Language is the expression of creative intelligence. Our language wasn't just chill, dope, nah. We looked at the English language and what's on our minds, what's on our heads. Our minds are so vast in our thinking that the English language does not have enough words to describe what we're thinking. So what we have to do is take words, the existing words, and transform them to fit our consciousness, to fit how we come in at the world. This is what hip hop is. It is the transformation of subjects and objects in an attempt to describe your consciousness. Hip hop is made up of nine expressions. DJing, breaking, graffiti art, MCing, beatboxing, street fashion, street language, street knowledge, and street entrepreneurialism. Many people don't realize what street entrepreneurialism is. And it's not about selling crack on a corner either. I know that's the first thing we think of. But it might include it. So don't get it twisted. The point to street entrepreneurialism is when you take something in its raw state, raw, there's no loan from the bank, there's no help from your parents, it's you and the world. And you're trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. This piece here is called The Pad and the Pen. And it begins like this. The pad and the pen. The pad or the pen. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul at the same time? The pad and the pen. I kick the same rhyme with the pad and the pen. My name, I'm not important. What's important is knowing yourself before your life shortens with the pad and the pen. Time for some action again. I contemplate the pad and the pen. Cause the pad and the pen could get you in a pad or a pen. You can hear these rappers writing up their own disastrous end. They don't know when to stop until they write up their own destruction or the penitentiary door locks. And it all begins with their pad and their pen. A lot of people, black scholars, especially black nationalist scholars, especially, will say, we lost all of this, but they won't admit that hip hop may be the refinding of what we lost. We don't know what we lost, cause we lost it. But whatever we lost, if it was truly ours, then it is still with us. If it's truly whatever was going on in ancient Africa, Asia, even Europe, with us, is still happening today. It may have been sidetracked. It may have been stopped or altered uh, to a degree. 
But when the political climate became right enough for hip hop to reemerge in the early 70s, this could be what we lost. Here at the Temple of Hip Hop, we talk about hip hop as a strategy toward health, love, awareness, and wealth. And again, whatever God has given us, we haven't really lost it. You can only forget it. You can't lose it. You only forget it. So in the scheme of following a spiritual thought in hip hop, it's not about gaining knowledge of something that you didn't know before. The practice has to do more with remembering what you forgot. When you try to remember what was forgotten, not only do you, did you not really lose what you had because you're remembering it is still with you, but most spiritual thought as well in the world has to do with what is called enlightenment and awakening. And that enlightenment and that awakening is a remembrance, not a new you. It's not a, all of a sudden I'm a new person or I've took something on to make me somebody new. You simply remember who you were. You are reminded. Be the things you are thinking. And if you don't want to be what you are thinking, stop thinking it. I used to get into a lot of MC battles. And the MC used to always say, when they come up, say, yeah, yeah, we doing this for hip hop. We doing this for the real hip hop. And that's when they lose the battle because I am real hip hop. Right away, the psychology's different. He's coming at me representing something that I'm saying I am. So there's no way you're gonna win. There's no way because the only way you have a chance is if you say, no, I am hip hop. And then you're equaled off and you go after it. But it takes practice and it's a change in your thought. Instead of reading the word of Christ, be the word of Christ. Instead of following God's word, be God's word. That's the consciousness of hip hop. You are not just doing hip hop, you are hip hop. You are not just reading the word of God, you are the word of God. The only way you can really walk in this earth, really following the laws of Jesus Christ, is when you yourself think you are Jesus Christ. And then you can walk just like Jesus Christ, easy, easy. Be the things you are thinking. And if you cannot be what you are thinking, stop thinking it. But if you can be what you're thinking, you'll be the best at it. Whatever you do, whatever you're studying right now, be it now. Open your business today. Act like you are the CEO of your own corporation, and you will be. If you are sitting there going, one day I'll be the CEO, one day never comes. One day I'll finish this schooling, I'll be an attorney. One day never comes. The only thing that exists is today. 
And whatever you're doing today, the cause is going to affect your life in the future, the effect. So this is how you use hip hop in everyday society, in everyday life, on a spiritual level, a political level, and on a life level. This piece is called Same Old Thing. Because while you sit and cry, we do the same old thing. We turn the TV on, we flash in the same old ring. But when our people die, it has the same old sting. But we just turn around and we do the same old thing. Again and again, we blaspheme the death of our friends. We only looking for them ends in that same old thing. We gotta begin. Hip hop, it can win. Just chill with the sin. If you play on the radio, you gotta watch what you spin. Stop playing the same. Oh. Instead of only your wrists, let your brain go bling. I'd rather hear about Saturn's rings than that same old thing. Whatever you sing along with more than twice, for sure you're bringing that all into your life. So sing along with this. What a gift to uplift I bring. People can say what they like, but one thing's for sure. This ain't the same. Oh. Malcolm X in 1965. I'm reading, by the way, from a book called Malcolm X Speaks. It's a collection of his speeches uh, published by Pathfinder. Malcolm X Speaks. Selected Speeches and Statements. This is what Malcolm X said in 1965. Now, the reason 1965 is an important year is because 1965 is when the first hip hoppers, the first group of hip hoppers that would become the golden age were born. The first hip hoppers were really born between 1950 and 1970, this 20 year period. But in 1965, there was massive turmoil going on in the country. I was born in 1965. So I find this year very interesting and I find what Ma Malcolm X also uh, was assassinated in 1965. Um, but one of his last statements here in 1965 was to a group of young students, young people. This is what he said. In America, students have been noted for involving themselves in panty raids, goldfish swallowing, seeing how many can get into a phone booth, not for their revolutionary political ideas or their desire to change unjust conditions, but some students are becoming more like their brothers around the world speaking of the revolutionary young people that were fighting all over the world. However, the students have been deceived somewhat in what's known as the civil rights struggle, which was never designed to solve the problem. The problem is racism, is what he's dealing with. Civil rights, he says, never was designed to solve the problem. It was pretty much designed to deal with the problem, to live in the problem, to find better ways to accept the problem. But civil rights, according to Malcolm X, never dealt with the problem. 
the students were maneuvered in the direction of thinking the problem was already analyzed so they didn't try to analyze it for themselves Malcolm X is saying that the students were maneuvered in the direction of thinking that the problem was already analyzed racism and already that we already got this don't worry just we already got it so they didn't try to analyze it for themselves in my thinking Malcolm X says if the students in this country forgot the analysis that has been presented to them underline the word forgot if this in, in, in my thinking if the students in this country forgot the analysis that has been presented to them and they went into a huddle and began to research this problem of racism for themselves independent of politicians and independent of all foundations which are part of the power structure and did it themselves then some of their findings would be shocking but they would see that there would never be able, uh, they would see that they would never be able to bring about a solution to racism in this country as long as they're relying on the government to do it. This is very interesting what Malcolm is saying because this statement is what is the fundamental of hip hop, the, fundam the fundamental of hip hop is rethinking the entire society that you're in. This is what created hip-hop. Hip-hop was not created because MTV uh, appreciated its existence and decided to bring it up and broadcast it to the people. Hip-hop was created by sidestepping the norm. Many of us in this room today, man, maybe all of us, have situations that we are in that appear to be normal. And people are telling you, don't go against the norm. Stay in your place. Just chill, what you angry about? What you so, you, you got this, you got that. You, you, you're living here, you, you, you're driving that. But hip hop impresses upon your soul to always rethink the norm. Malcolm X tells us here that by rethinking what you think is normal, by rethinking the society, by rethinking the foundations of society, this is how you deal with the problem of racism. You don't ask the government to do it for you. You rethink the situation, the whole society, yourself. I'm here to tell you today that a lot of you are going through situations that you're like in a crossroads because hip hop puts you in that mode. Hip hop has one thought, but the society is thinking something else. And as a hip hopper, you're constantly in flux in between my job, my school, my this, my that, my the other, versus my soul. My, my soul, who, who I am, who am I? Most of us live these double lives. 
We know who we are. But then when we step out in the street, we have to suppress that. Because who we are is illegal. Hi, everybody. We're here in Germany today to learn the International Friendship Song. And here to teach us is our good friend, Professor Otto von Schnitzelpuss-Krankengescheitmeier. Dankeschön, mein kleiner Kinder, und willkommen. It's a wonderful day in the neighborhood, yeah? Now, let's do the International Friendship Song, yeah? Yeah! Ist das nicht ein piece of chalk? Ja, das ist ein piece of chalk. Ist das nicht ein key and lock? Ja, das ist ein key and lock. Piece of chalk, key and lock. Ohne Schöner, ohne Schöner, ohne Schöner Schnitzelbank. Are we having fun yet? Ist das nicht ein Kuckuck-Clock? Ja, das ist ein Kuckuck-Clock. Das ist nicht nur Tick-Tick-Tock. Ja, das ist nur Tick-Tick-Tock. Kuckuck-Clock, Tick-Tick-Tock, piece of chalk, key and lock. Ohne Schöner, ohne Schöner, ohne Schöner Schnitzelbank. You see? It's a very easy song. Would you like to try? Oh, gee, Professor, that'd be great. What should I sing about? Anything that you want. The secret is to choose that one, okay? Okay. Is das nicht ein piece of bread? Ja, das ist ein piece of bread. Does it fit in Wacko's head? Ja, it fits in Wacko's head. Piece of bread, Wacko's head. Ohne Schöne, ohne Schöne, ohne Schöne Schnitzelbank. Hey, you kids is pretty good. We're just getting warmed up. Is das nicht ein Otto's gut? Ja, das ist ein Otto's gut. Is das nicht ein Otto's butt? Ja, das ist ein Otto's butt. Otto's gut, Otto's butt. Oh, the schöner, oh, the schöner, oh, the schöner Schnitzelbank. Oh, 